I, I face imposter syndrome in, in roles dating back 10 years ago, and I still face it now. And sometimes it's, you know, hidden in thinking I didn't deserve the investment because, you know, exactly there's a bad economic downturn. How come I got the money? I was lucky or I somehow managed to, you know, deceive people, whatever. So I, I have those thoughts. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear part two of my discussion with Carolina Peltz from Beyond Play, which is transforming solitary game sessions into engaging multiplayer entertainment experiences. I said in the intro to part one that Carolina is one of the most impressive entrepreneurs I've met yet through the podcast, and part two that you're about to hear only underscores that. We go deep on Beyond Play's multi-million dollar funding round that was just announced a few days ago, and Carolina shares her perspective on what it takes to successfully fundraise in the current environment. She also talks about scaling culture at Beyond Play, how she thinks about and defines success, and an honest assessment on facing imposter syndrome as an entrepreneur. Part two of this discussion was awesome, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. But before we get started, I'm super excited to share that we're an official media partner of SBC Summit North America, the biggest dedicated iGaming and sports betting event in North America, which returns to New Jersey on May 9th through the 11th. This event will bring together all the major players in the fast-growing North American iGaming and sports betting industry for three days of high-level discussions, business meetings, and networking. The program also includes SBC's third annual First Pitch, a startup pitch competition which will bring together the most exciting startups in the industry who will compete for a grand prize before a judging panel of leading industry investors. To learn more and secure your ticket for SBC Summit North America, visit www.sbcevents.com and make sure to use promo code BSP23 for $200 off your pass. That's B as in betting, S as in startups, P as in podcast, 2-3. Use that promo code for $200 off and I'll see you there. Let's shift a little bit to, to talk about the funding journey for Beyond Play. As I said, you know, you just announced a brand new multi-million dollar round of funding led by Better Capital. So, you know, first and foremost, congratulations on achieving that milestone. It obviously massively validates the opportunity you're pursuing with Beyond Play. Just a few questions around this, maybe just to start off with Carolina. I'm curious to know why your new investors are so excited about the opportunity and why did they decide that you're the right team in the right place at the right time? And you know, conversely, on the other side of that coin, why are you excited about your new investor partners in Beyond Play? Yeah, I think I can only just speculate <laughs> on their <laughs> behalf, obviously based on the feedback that we had. But, you know, when I was in New York City at iGaming Next a couple of weeks ago, which you sadly missed, but, uh, and I was listening to the panels where people were talking about the big trends and, you know, what, what's, what's going to be the future of the industry. And it was the same, same in Europe a couple of years ago. Even I was repeating those mantras. It was all about, social, entertainment, community, togetherness, you know? So I think we, we are going right after this trend. I think we are going, uh, we are one of the very few startups in the space that are not game studios because in the game studio space, there's a lot, but in the B2B space that is iGaming, iCasino focused, there's a lot of AI startups, there's a lot of sports betting startups, but there's not that many iCasino focused, which Again, those investors understand where the market is going to be in a year or two and how big that vertical is going to become for the U.S. Uh, we are focusing on regulated markets. We always saw massive opportunity in the U.S., so it sort of fits the bill of what they're looking for. And I think we have shown a great um, progress and trajectory since we've been founded. You know, we've, we've been around for two years. We've grown from one person to 35 people. Uh, uh, you know, we are geographically distributed, so we really do go after 
the best talent. So we have an extremely strong in-house development team complete with sort of product UX and a lot of people with a lot of experience from the industry. Uh, so I think the team is impressive to anyone and I'm not even going to beat around the bush. It is, um, especially the management team as well, that there consists of years of operator and supplier experience. And, uh, you know, they we've been doing quite advanced due diligence on everything. So even though from the outside, it only seems that, okay, your guys are not live yet. How are you raising money? How is it all possible for you? But when you're on the inside as a, as a prospective investor, you see our pipeline, you see all the partnership contracts we signed to launch when we're live for Jackpot, for multiplayer. Uh, you know, you see the studios we have coming up for integrations. Uh, you know, we've done a pretty accurate set of projections of what this could bring to the business. And also the product. I mean, they, they've played the product. Um, they've, they've analyzed the technology inside out. We're building our tech in a, uh, on a, on a latest technology, you know, of, uh, that's why it's so hard for us to find people because we compete with the Netflixes and the Googles when you build in, you know, React and Node and Next.js is, is pretty hard to find talent, but we are building on that. It's a scalable technology. Uh, we own pretty wide patents, uh, both in UK and, um, U.S. when it comes to betting on casino betting on streaming. Uh, so I guess all those elements combined generated a fair level of confidence and trust to invest in a in a company pre-launch. And for some of these investors, it's, it's a first to invest in an iGaming startup. It's a first to invest in this early stage. And for and some of them even waived their qualification crit criteria because initially they were like, no, we only invest in revenue generating businesses. But you, you guys are a couple of months away from your first revenue and we're hugely excited by this. So yeah, let, let's do it. Well, I mean, that's a massively huge testament to everything you and the team are doing to sort of get them to make exceptions to their own investment criteria, right? Uh, yes. Not every day you hear that uh, happening. Just curious as well, Carolina, like with this new funding, what milestones are you and the team looking to reach with it, right? Like where, where does this money get you ultimately? Well, first of all, it helps you get to live with the multiplayer because as I told you, it's still... My, my team keeps bashing me for not giving timelines on any media because then I need to go back on. And it's probably the hardest thing for me as well, because we seems to be just about there with finishing the product. But then there is so many technical challenges with this and you want it to, to be completely stable and have the best chance of performing at launch. So we still need some time to build this product. So it helps us, co you know, continue the momentum and building and complete that development. It puts us through the time where we're launching because we are launching and we're going to start generating revenue on, on Jackpot to start with. And, and then those same customers that actually signed up for Jackpot, they're all interested to take multiplayer as well. It's a single integration. So for us, it's much easier to convince existing customers to, to take another product from our portfolio. Um, it definitely helps with licensing and regulatory costs in the US and Canada. I mean, we've, we've spent a lot of money in the UK on our license and, uh, you know, it helps us still pursue that regulated market journey. And it just lets us also scale up the team uh, a little bit, although we are nearing sort of the optimal capacity with our recruitment. I'm not seeing the business grow to huge, hugely bigger in the next six months, but it lets us add a little bit more operational support. You know, we need people on call. If we enter U.S., we need to have people in the U.S. for customer support and so on. It helps us just and add that layer of operational standby availability from the team and a couple of people maybe to explore different verticals application because we, you know, we're not there yet with a core product, but we keep being asked about how about you guys did 
virtual uh, horses. This would be so cool on that. Imagine people could bet on horses as syndicates, you know. Why don't you guys do sports betting? This would work really great on social casino. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it all. And then my product person is like, no, let's <laughs> not do it all. Let's just focus, ship it, what we have to ship. And then, then we're going to look at other verticals. But for me as a CEO, of course, I want to maximize revenue opportunities. So I'm trying to do everything at once. But uh, luckily, I have some pretty down-to-earth people that can just, you know, dream with me when we dream, but then remind me we're dreaming and uh, let's refocus on what matters right now, which is let's just execute. Let's get it to market. Awesome. One more question just on the fundraising journey, Carolina. Um, actually, just last week, I saw a new report put out by Crunchbase just on the global venture funding landscape for Q1 this year. And basically the, the takeaway headline from that is that venture and growth investors and private companies really scaled back their investment pace in the first quarter of 2023 compared to Q1 2022. Uh, I think it said global funding in the first quarter was down 53% year over year for Q1. So, you know, with that being the macro landscape and sort of from a data perspective, validating probably what a lot of us are just feeling out there anecdotally about just, you know, funding being a little bit more difficult to achieve. You know, you've sort of bucked the trend and obviously have successfully raised this multi-million dollar round. So I'm just curious from an experience sharing perspective for other founders that might be listening to this one, is there any insights or advice uh, that you can share with other people that are currently trying to fundraise in this environment uh, within this industry? Yeah, I think it depends how much confidence you have in your product and how many different options you've got, right? So we were in quite fortunate position as well because we had time to raise this money. We were not, we had some reinvestment from our very first investors at the beginning. Our round was also coupled with a divesting effort from one of uh, the early investors purely because of sort of how to explain because of corporate things that were going on on their side to a certain sure. extent. And also we wanted to be independent uh, and I think they've gave us a great acceleration platform, but it came a time where we didn't want to be owned by an operator because it could present us with challenges in terms of uh, being competitive. I think there definitely has been, in my journey at least, some investors that would uh, go back on this trend and, you know, some investors that I've spoken to in the past and they would be throwing at, uh, numbers at me in terms of valuations, you know, you'd revisit with them six months later and they'd like lower the valuation by 30%. And you'd ask like, how come? The, the only thing I've done since we spoke is, is progress. And they'd be like, yeah, but the world, you know, and the economic situation and everything. But there are some that have, done, have not done that. In my view, the overall situation when it comes to uh, investing is obviously driven by the economic situation, right? But the, the industry has proven uh, time after time that it's somewhat resilient to the economic situation and it grows despite the economic situation. It When it doesn't grow, it's due to regulatory sort of restrictions and, you know, legislations being introduced. But, you know, the, the, the past crisis many years ago, the industry was growing. Pandemic, the industry was growing. Uh, so I feel if it's industry investors, I, I, I don't see that they would scale back on their, on their investments. On the contrary, the industry will still grow and they'll see opportunities, especially, you know, with the booming U.S. market. If it's outside of the industry investor, they'll be more cautious uh, because they might not be as familiar with this resilience that gaming has or, or real money gambling has, you know. So this is what I would say. And, and again, if you have many options, then you can pick and choose and uh, you might even fight back with some that be like, no, the valuations need to be lower because the price of getting into business with 
founders has gone down, you can be like, no, it hasn't, not with me. But if you don't, then I suggest that you, you, you play along because at the end of the day, it's about finding this money to fund your dream and maybe not at all costs, but sometimes you need to make a, some compromises. And unfortunately, the circumstances not always align. And if you're ra- looking to raise money in this particular climate, you have to be adaptive and you have to just, you know, see, see what's, what's the most optimal thing for, to do. Talking a bit about just team building and culture, I mean, you mentioned this a few minutes ago that you've had fairly sort of rapid growth in your team size over the last two years. I'm just curious, you know, as far as culture goes, like what type of culture are you looking to build within Beyond Play? And I guess, how do you sort of think about maintaining that culture, particularly as a team will continue to keep growing over time? Yeah, I don't. Uh, That's the answer to the question, regardless of the fact that I would like to be spending all my time on it. I think before I founded the business, I had all these dreams of just, you know, standing in front of whiteboard and writing my values and doing all these amazing things for the team. But then you just sort of get swallowed by the every, everyday life. And so is your team. So, of course, we do uh, live and breathe certain values. Um, again, we are a fully remote company. We're hiring in 10 different geographical locations. So everybody works from home. We have people in our team in Malta, Albania, Greece, uh, Poland, UK, you know, Portugal. So there's a lot of different religions. There is different nationalities. There is different races. There is different sexual orientation, different sexual identification within the team. So we have to be very mindful of this. And as we are still quite small, it's manageable because I still know every employee in the company quite personally. I still interview all the employees myself. So it, it's manageable. But as we get bigger, it's becoming more and more difficult. And we started to realize that, you know, we're hitting that mark where we probably need a, a skilled individual taking care of all these culture and team building and policies and processes in place. Because, you know, up to a couple of weeks ago, we had a 0% turnover in the team. So with the size of 30, 35, it's still pretty good that no one has ever left uh, as in resigned. Uh, but, you know, it's two years of hard work. It's bound to start crumbling at some stage. So it's now that we're starting to look at, OK, let's do preventive actions uh, rather than have to deal with reactive later. So, yeah, to sum up, I don't think about it enough. I want to think about it more at the moment. I'm just lucky to have a team of amazing people there where the culture is building itself. But it's definitely on the list of my priorities to start addressing uh, very, very soon. Well, it's a very honest answer, which we appreciate. Um, I guess just sticking with the theme of diversity within the team, I mean, you've been a very vocal proponent of women in leadership roles, and particularly within the industry, right? And not only do you talk the talk, but you walk the walk. You demonstrate that through your leadership team at Beyond Play, which just quickly looking at your team page here, right? You're, well, yourself as founder and CEO, but also your COO, your CTO, your head of product. Uh, you know, you have a very strong team of, of female leaders at Beyond Place. So just curious, Carolina, like looking at the industry at large right now, what's your assessment on how we're doing at the industry level with respect to gender diversity? And I guess as you think about it, you know, what are some things we can do to make further progress in this area? I think we're doing great. I think we're doing great in the context of how badly we were doing in the past. Right. Um, you know, it's an industry in which I remember going to ICE in the past and being embarrassed of being there you know, because of all the sort of objectification, sexualization of women. And then when I spoke out about it publicly, that I don't wish to be, in, you know, exposed to this other work environment, I was sort of, you know, talked about behind my back and people tried to reason with me that gambling and sex is uh, interestingly connected. So it's always going to be like this. And it's, it's, it's not true. 
you know, gambling is a is an entertainment. Uh, it does not need to be perceived as anything of this nature. It's, you know, hugely exciting tech industry. And I, I feel that we have completely overturned our external perception. We are able to attract talent externally, which was hard in the past. As I, I mean, look at the US, as I said, you get Netflix, Google, Net, uh, Disney type of people, the zone people joining the industry. It's exciting, you know. Uh, nobody looks at that as some doji CD industry don't want to be part of. So I think we've changed that. And naturally, this also works for women because it was working for both men and women. I think we've done a great stride of pro progress when it comes in to championing women in senior executive roles. Like, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't see many female CEOs or board members or entrepreneurs. Now it's very different. And I think it is down to the fact that a lot of people recognize this need and we have been speaking about it openly sort of banging on the door of those who are not listening so yeah i think massive progress what can we do more i think we just need to maintain and keep focus on this not to get too quickly overconfident that you know we have a couple of ceos and tain leader is a ceo you know fanjuel leader is a ceo we've got enough let's not do more of that we we have to make sure that we keep going and we have to make sure to kill those voices that are critical of this because, you know, if you look at my leadership with full confidence, I can say that at no point they were appointed because they were women. They have such amazing credentials that they have just beaten other candidates out of the park. And I think it's the same with the executives that we have currently, the female executives that we have currently in place. It's, it's possible to question their credentials and their deservance to be in the role, right? But I think it needs to be spoken about. So those quiet voices of Ah, oh, she's been appointed because she's a woman. Oh, she got investment because she's a female founder. So it's easier to, to get money. I hear that as well, you know. Um, of course, there's going to be voices like that, but you just have to squash them. And if enough people sort of speak the right voice and, and convey the right message, that's going to be the message that sticks. Yeah, well said. And, and kudos to you for, again, being the champion of such an important message over the last number of years. And I, I agree with you in the context of how things used to be 10 plus years ago at ICE when I first went there. It's a, it's a totally different industry now from that perspective. More work to be done, of course. But, um, you know, I think we can all be proud of, of at least starting to close that gap and with continued focus, hopefully continue to close it. A couple of questions just on your entrepreneurial journey, Carolina, before uh, I let you out of here today. I know we're going a little bit long, but I'm really, really enjoying this. So if you're up for it, you know, you've talked previously uh, in other interviews about the feeling of having imposter syndrome, which, you know, let's admit it, uh, every entrepreneur faces that at some point or another, yet it's one of those things that, at least in my perspective, it's rarely talked about. So just wondering to start with here, if you're willing to share just some of your experience sort of facing and overcoming uh, sort of what we call imposter syndrome, right? And, and as other entrepreneurs are, are grappling with this, like, like, how have you been able to sort of, I guess, yeah, overcome it to get where you are today? Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest on this one as well. I can't share experience of overcoming it because I haven't overcome it, you know. I'm facing it all the time. And I, I sometimes do sort of motivational speeches on different conferences and, and talk about imposter syndrome because I, I, I refer to this as the three bastards that stand in the way of trying to pursue either entrepreneurial journey or, um, you know, senior leadership role a journey. And imposter syndrome is one of them. Fear of rejection is another one. And this whole, you know, work-life balance misconception is what I refer as a third one. Um, and I have a tattoo, which probably I can't show you right now, but it basically says, don't let the bastards grind you down, which refers to exactly those three things that you face every day in your journey. Now, you know, 
I, I face imposter syndrome in, in roles dating back 10 years ago, and I still face it now. And sometimes it's, you know, hidden in thinking I didn't deserve the investment because, you know, exactly there's a bad economic downturn. How come I got the money? I was lucky or I somehow managed to, you know, deceive people, whatever. So I, I have those thoughts. Uh, I had them in the past. Now the imposter syndrome is very much manifesting through, you know, I'm not live with my product. I really wanted to go to market. I only know and my team how complex it is to build. And I want to like tell people out there, and I probably will do it because it's just grinding me so hard, this, this syndrome of people thinking that I'm not coming to market. I'm not going to launch this product ever because it takes longer than I thought, right? So it's it's something that the only way to deal with is to just try to repeat to yourself that the reason why it's called a syndrome is because it's a syndrome. It's something that many people face. It's something that you're not alone in. It's something that is not true. It's just a feeling. And keep repeating this to yourself and try to turn around things rather than thinking about the negatives of why you could be, you know, I like to refer to Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos, like, you know, I, I, I try to understand that no, you're not that, and try to strengthen your perception of your of your really strong sides, and exactly explain to self why did I manage to find investors to back my vision? Why did I sign you know seven studios to to work with my product? How come I have six operators signed in the pipeline if you know the product that I want to do is only me that believe in it? Clearly, there's a lot of other people that share my vision, so. It's just about reinforcement, Some sometimes daily, I would say. But how to beat it completely? I don't know. And I also don't know if people that can completely get rid of it sometimes don't lose some of their humbleness either because there's a thin line between sort of not having any imposter syndrome and not knowing any humility either. So... Love it. Love it. Another thing I just want to ask you about with respect to your journey, right? I mean, as you touched upon uh, almost an hour ago when we started this conversation, you know, you've literally worked your way up through this industry. And, you know, now today you're a disruptive innovator within it. So just curious, like, as you reflect on all of this, Carolina, what does it mean to you to be where you're at now? And I guess looking ahead, like, what are you most excited about as far as the future is concerned? I love it. I mean, I've loved working in industry forever. I've loved every single job of mine. And when I didn't love it, I job hopped. I never believed in that whole thing of staying at the job that you hate, uh, you know, just because it's going to be looking bad on your CV. So I was one of those things that if I didn't like it, I, you know, try to improve it. But if it didn't work, I just changed. Now, the jobs that I stayed for a long time, I really, really loved and enjoyed. This one still, it gives me unbelievably bigger level of fulfillment. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I think it's also coupled with the fact that, you know, I'm a mom, I have a five-year-old boy, and I think there's a huge pressure on working women to, especially in the current environment where parents are supposed to be, you know, making Montessori toys and being ever-present and reading millions of books, how to best bring up their children. And you're a working mom and you barely have time to think about what your son is going to eat for dinner. There is a lot of pressure on that but I still wouldn't change it for anything else. I absolutely love building something that has not been done. I 100% believe in this vision. I 100% believe in the team. I love bringing other people on board. I love my team. So yeah, I wouldn't, I probably didn't expect for this to be such heavy workload and I haven't expected to encounter this many bumps on my way because we did encounter some, some serious bumps here and there. Still, I wouldn't have, 
change it for anything. At, th at this point, I still don't think I would have done uh, things any differently to what we're doing now. What, what the future excites me about, I want the product to be live. I want to see the reaction of players. I want to be able to join a session with players. I want to be able to see that vision that I drew on the napkin because I did, how, however cliche that sounds, I did draw the first UX uh, of the product on a napkin in a coffee shop and it is plastered on Slack with my team. And we're actually quite close to the original vision, um, which, is, which is great. I want to see it perform. I want to see people loving it. And if they don't love it, I want to figure out what to do with it so that they do love it. Awesome. And then as you're sitting here right now, you know, fresh funding in the bank, all of these milestones you've achieved, all of these other exciting milestones to come shortly here, I guess, as you think about it all, and you think about the journey ahead of you still, what does success look like to you both personally, but also for beyond play? I, I mean, every founder probably has some kind of exit at the back of their head one day, you know, but it isn't what motivates or drives me right now. I want the company to be profitable successfully, you know, launching the products. I want to be live with the big names in the industry. And I want to be, because I want the liquidity on the product as well, which is why I'm talking about big brands. I want people to look back at this product and think, even if this product doesn't become the smash hit of multiplayer, that it was completely going to redefine the, the way that people play, I would like it to be the first successful attempt at it. So, so that's what it looks like. For me, I want to be remembered for that to a certain extent. And yeah, I think th that's what success is uh, for me. I, I would like to be proud. I would like to make sure that I'm proud of my organization, of the values that we, that we sort of offer to our employees and that we live by. And I would like to, at, at some point, to also fulfill my dream, uh, sort of the side dream for, for Beyond Place, to be a place of mentorship for women in tech. Mm -hmm. We've always had those dreams, you know, I, I have a domain called beyondgender.io, uh, beyondgender.com as well. This is all with the vision to in future, uh, you know, be able to attract even more females because we're doing a pretty good job. You mentioned, you know, our management team, but we also have head of UX, technical lead, a couple of team leads, um, now quite a few developers as well, female, because once you put that ball in that um, machine in motion, it's a self-driving thing. So the more women you have, the more women want to work for you because they appreciate the inclusive workspace. But at the moment, we have to be very selective when we choose men or women for the team because we need very skilled full-stack developers who don't need hand-holding and can work completely independently very quickly after the onboarding. Naturally, women are not necessarily all there, or if they are, they're working for Google or Netflix and they're making fortunes, right? So we'll, I want to get to the point where we can get a bit more junior candidates and we can guide them through their career. We can champion them to that higher level when they probably leave us and go to work for Google. But, you know, we're going to have that little achievement in, in mentoring women and creating opportunities for them to, to become really skilled engineers. Well, the segue is perfectly then into my standard closing question. If Beyond Play didn't exist, and if you hadn't spent your entire professional career to date working in the casino industry or in anything that you've done before in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? Uh, there's two things to this. Something that I, I would like to think what I would be doing, I would probably have like a farm turned into workspace for people where you can drink organic coffee, eat wholesome food, uh, you know, vegan, gluten-free, sugar-free, whatever you want, because I'm quite big on uh, holistic nutrition and the sort of impact on your health. 
do meditation and, uh, you know, relax with some goats, <laughs> baby goats walking over you. That's what I think I would like to do. But realistically, I'd probably be in tech just doing something very different. You know, I am a product person at heart. Um, I've always had ideas for product. I have ideas constantly outside of the industry. You know, me and my husband quite often just go on a wild discussion of what would improve our online shopping app a bit more. Or we try to request features from Amazon that would just make it easier for our daily shopping. So I think I would still be building something, just maybe not for the for the industry. Fair enough. Awesome. And for people listening that want to learn more about Beyond Play and or get in touch with yourself, Carolina, where can you point them towards to do all of that? Yeah, I recommend that you follow me on LinkedIn and our page Beyond Play on LinkedIn because we're actually quite consistent and frequent in speaking to followers through our social media. Uh, I post quite a lot as well. On So once you follow me, you're probably uh, going to see me on, on, on your feed daily. I warn you of that. But yeah, Beyond Place page is where we post a lot of videos from our events. So it's very much a combination of, it's not just a salesy channel. We try to take inspiration from companies like Monzo and Ryanair and try to post some funny content, obviously some sales messages, but uh, very much promoting our company as a great place to work at, to attract sort of new employees. And I, I think the page is fun uh, and, it, and it gives you the vibe for the company. Awesome. Well, I'll drop I'll drop links in the show notes to all of that, Carolina. But for now, look, really appreciate what turned into an hour long discussion here, which I've really enjoyed. So I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share all of the aspects of your journey and really wishing you and the team all the best for the year ahead and really look forward to continuing to follow the story. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And then when you look at the stats of this podcast and you see a drop off after 15 minutes, don't blame it on I Casino. Just blame <laughs> it on me being a big talker and keep inviting other people from I Casino because we have a lot of fun stuff to say. Mm-hmm.